0: Hey everybody, Uh, my name is Michael Chinchilla. I get to serve here at Village as the lead pastor of our Calgary location, which is awesome and amazing. And I'm so excited to be able to be with you today. If you have Bibles, turn to Psalm 32. That's where we're gonna be this morning. And I've kind of tried to, you know, think about the way to best do this sermon. And I thought about hiding kind of like the punchline, like what's the point of this thing till the end? And I just kind of drop it. I'm just gonna give it to you from the start. Psalm 32 ultimately is about a true relationship with God is true happiness. That's what it is. A true relationship with God is true happiness. That's kind of the point here. And so as we read the first couple verses, maybe something comes up to your mind and maybe that thing is, oh man, that sounds like a really good sermon. This sounds like a a thing that so-and-so should want to hear. And I think that kind of defeats the purpose. I think what's gonna happen here today is that you are gonna find yourself very much so in these passages, and I want that to happen. I want you to see yourself in this. And the reason why is because it has to hit every single one of us, because what this Psalm talks about is a universal issue for every single one of you who are watching this right now, including myself. So Psalm 32 verses one and two, this is what it says. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Um, back in our old offices, you would walk into the main entrance and right in front of you was kind of this like uh, window, but served as a bit of a mirror. And right next to you was the same thing. It was this kind of one way mirror thing. And I used to work in this kind of office space right here. And so when people came into our reception area, I would look at them and they couldn't see that I was seeing them. and so. When they went to the receptionist and the receptionist walked away to get the person they're meeting with or a bottle of water or whatever, it was just kind of them on their own, not knowing that I could see what they were doing. And it was the best. It was like them at their most natural state. They were sitting there and like picking their nose and putting deodorant on and whatever. Like it felt like such a powerful position to be in. But then what began to happen was that when I walked through the door, I felt so exposed. I felt so vulnerable walking into that space because it was like, people could look at me and and see me and I couldn't really control it. I, I couldn't really do anything about me not seeing the fact that they are seeing me. And it changed completely how I walked into that room. Now I want you to hold that illustration. I want you to stow it away. We're gonna get back to it, but that's gonna be a big point of Psalm 32. What Psalm 32 does is it has two kind of beatitude statements or blessed statements. Let's reread them again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There are three descriptions of sin. There is sin, there is transgression, and then there's iniquity. This is supposed to give us the full dimension of human evil. And that is being put to odds against ultimate divine deliverance, forgiveness in God's sight. These two are going at odds. And these descriptions of sin are really important for us to understand. The first is transgression. transgression. This is willful violation. This is kind of like raising up your fist against God and saying, I wanna do what I wanna do. The second one is sin. And this is more of like a moral failure. The picture here is more of a, an archer missing the mark a little bit, not doing what you're supposed to do. The last one is iniquity, and iniquity is going astray. The mental picture here is kind of a snowboarder going out of bounds. And so you have all of these descriptions. You have willful violation, moral failure, and going astray at odds with divine deliverance. And this is so important because what it's saying is that happiness finds itself at the culmination or as the result of divine deliverance meeting up with ultimate human evil in a very beautiful way. You will find yourself in this place of blessedness. And how do we get there? I think that's a really important thing that this wants to to bring out for us. But imagine just for a moment here, that you truly had a realistic view of your own sin and your own failure. And that when you asked God for forgiveness, you were granted it. Imagine if you actually believed that every day. Imagine how different it would be that you really had a handle on yourself and you had a handle on him and how he would interact if you asked him to save you, if you asked him to forgive you. Imagine how different your life would be. That this is so personal for us, because what this is saying is that forgiveness is available to those who are guilty. Forgiveness is is given to us, even though us as Canadians don't feel very guilty sometimes. We, uh, the, the idea of us sinning against God is not a very Canadian thing. I think if we said, hey, you're sinning against yourself because you're not being who you really are called to be or really want to be in your life. You are being inconsistent with the vision of what you have for yourself. People would be totally on board, but that's not what this is saying. This is saying that we are sinning against God and his forgiveness and our sinfulness are going to be at odds with one another. And the word that comes out about this for God is is the word covering, that he's going to cover our sin. But humans covering and God's covering are very different things. Genesis chapter three, when humans sin for the very first time, what begins to happen? Adam and Eve get a bunch of leaves and they cover themselves because they're shamed. It's hiding. God's covering is very, very different. And to be honest, you and I all follow suit. We spend a lot of time hiding. And the reason behind that is because maybe we have a lie in our mind thinking that, regardless of the person, or maybe even a God, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't like me. If you knew more information about who I really was, you wouldn't wanna be around me. And so we hide because we wanna control the perception of others for ourselves. And you and I spend a lot of time covering And what this is kind of showing us is that we don't like to be exposed. We used to do this thing where we would have leaders come over to our house and uh, there'd be 15 people. And one of the games we would play is you have to show everybody on like the airplay to the TV, the last 10 photos in your camera roll. You can imagine like everybody getting tense and sweaty. And this is like a really nerve wracking thing. And some people didn't want to participate and some, because they're sketchy, whatever. And we figured out like, that is the most exposing thing on the planet that you're sitting there and you're having to show what you really think, what you really say, what you really laugh at and what are people's perceptions of that thing. We do not like being exposed because we feel as dehumanizing and our level of control is gone. But imagine a God who knows every single piece of information about you, every, every sin that you've committed, that you are committing and will commit and still wants you anyways. Imagine that God who knows every single one of your dirty little secrets and loves you. I think what you need to hear first and foremost is this. God does not love a future version of you. He loves you. He doesn't love you when you're perfect and good and everything's all figured out. No, 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 no. God loves you now. That's the point. You have to really get this into you that when forgiveness is offered and you take it, he gives it, that is as cut and clear as it can be. And it's beautiful for us to understand. Psalm 32, two, once again, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See for David, what he is saying is, is search me, O God. He's saying, pay attention, look at me. I I, I wanna understand everything about you and I want you to understand everything about me. One commentator put it this way. The fact that David feels constrained to let God once more gain an insight into the uttermost depths of his conscience, of which he himself is deeply ashamed when he recalls them, proves more clearly than anything else that to display the utmost candor in the presence of God, no matter what the cost will be, still remains for the psalmist the foundation of his relationship with God after he has obtained the forgiveness of sins. It's openness, it's transparency, it's repentance and it's confession. This is what this is gonna be the model for, for you and I. But what happens if we have all this guilt and all this shame and we just really try to hold it in? David also talks about that. Look at Psalm 32 verses three and four. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. You have like a a drasticness, the the degree is of of groaning. This is really difficult. And also it was very long in terms of duration. You have all day nights and all night long. You have these two descriptions. The degree is very high and the duration is very long. This is somebody who is in distress. And the way that he describes is a very physical reaction to guilt and shame. I remember talking to a young boy one time and he was talking about his partying and all the things that he's ever done. And he said, the reoccurring thing after I made a really big mistake at a party was that I would go home and I would take a shower and me taking a shower felt like I was just like brushing all of the bad stuff away. And every single one of us responds in a certain way to guilt and shame. It might not be a physical response, but there's something that you and I begin to do. And it's because we don't like the disconnection between the things that we do and who we believe ourselves to be. It's, uh, it's called cognitive dissonance. If you like psychology or any of those things. Um, and here's kind of the description. Two people are at a test and uh, one person has the opportunity, they both have the opportunity to cheat. One person takes the opportunity, the other person doesn't. And the person who cheats get a really high grade and the person who doesn't cheat gets a really low grade. What happens after the fact is this person is gonna, after they've cheated and they've, they know they made a mistake, probably comes away with the idea that cheating is not such a bad thing. They're trying to justify their action by making it more concrete and more literal and more... Uh, equal with who they believe themselves to be. I'm a good person and I cheated, so cheating must not be that bad. The other person also believes that they're a good person and they didn't cheat. And so a week later from that test, they're not gonna say cheating is not a bad thing. No, 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 to them, cheating is the worst possible thing that you could ever do. And this is what they call the pyramid effect. Two people started in the same place and now they found themselves at completely opposite perspectives, all because of one thing, justification. They were trying to justify their actions and they were trying to tell themselves that they were better than they might've been. This is one of the quotes that it said in this uh, beautiful book that they wrote, uh, Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson called, Mistakes were made, but not by me. This is what it is. When we explain our own behavior, self-justification allows us to flatter ourselves. We give ourselves a credit for our good action, but to let the situation excuse the bad ones. When we do something that hurts another, for example, we rarely say I behave this way because I'm a cruel and heartless human being. We say I was provoked, anyone would do what I did, or I had no choice, or yes, I said some awful things, but that wasn't me, it's because I was drunk. Yet when we do something generous, helpful, or brave, we don't say we did it because we were provoked or drunk or had no choice, or because the guy on the phone guilt-induced us into donating to charity. We did it because we are generous and open-hearted. See, we all react to guilt and shame in one way or another. For some of us, it's self-justification. For others of us, we have very many different reactions to this. Maybe for some of you, it's blame-shifting. This is Adam, right in the beginning in Genesis 3. God, the, the woman that you gave me is the re- issue. That's the reason why I, I committed this sin. Maybe for some of us, it's to define it away, to justify as we just explained. Maybe for some of you, it's to deaden yourself to it. As you medicate, you, you give yourself pleasurable things to hide away from the true reality of what's going on. For some of you, you criticize and gossip to other people and you kind of buy into the lie that making somebody else's life worse makes your life better. It doesn't really work out for you. Some of us try to achieve. No, I can't be that bad because look at all the things that I've done. For some of us, the way that we react to sin and guilt is we admit ambiguous sins, but we really try to hide the really big obvious ones. We give you a little piece of the pie to hide the larger piece. That's maybe one of your reactions. And the other is effort or or penitence, or maybe it's um, making yourself miserable because you feel like you have to punish yourself for the things that you've done wrong. Maybe some of these are your reactions. What are you supposed to do with this? If this is the way that you interact with guilt and shame, I think uh, David puts it perfectly in Psalm 32 verse five. Look, look what it says. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's beautiful. Look at this, I acknowledged my sin to you. I actually spoke of it. Maybe, maybe for some of us, the hardest thing to do with sin is just talk about it with people. But David's saying, no, no, I spoke about it with you. And then I didn't try to hide it. I did not cover my iniquity. I didn't, I didn't cover it, I didn't hide, I didn't try to dance around it. No, 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 I was open with you about what was going on. And then he says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I will be honest and say the reality and the truth behind what was going on to the Lord. And what was the result? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. So look what it's saying. If you are someone who is dealing with guilt and shame, there's a little bit for you to do here. One is to speak of it with him, speak of it with him. That's what repentance is, is to acknowledge the sin that you have and not hide it, not, not to bury it with other things. And also it's, it's for you to speak the truth about the events that occurred or, or the issues that are at hand and look at the result of a God who loves you. He will cover He will cover, and this is beautiful because sin here, this this moral failure, remember the, 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 the archer missing the mark kind of idea? What this is describing to you is that you can actually fail to fulfill what we are here for. And maybe this is the time that you actually have to admit that you are wrong. When it comes to iniquity or going astray, listen, lots of people in your life, as you're going to notice, are gonna go in a direction that you do not want them to go. And maybe for some of us, that's, that's us, that we are actually going in a direction we know we shouldn't go. And let's be honest, we are all really messed up and do not limit how screwed up you are by how aware you are of your screw ups. If you, you're, sit, you're sitting there going, I don't actually deal with anger, ask your spouse. I don't deal with this kind of a sin. Ask your roommate. I don't deal with this kind of, ask your best friend because they're sure aware of it. There's a lot of things that in our life, we think we're going on the straight and narrow and we are bent in a completely different direction. The other aspect of this is our transgressions, is that we are in willful violation, is that we're in this hiding of knowing we should tell God about these things and we're clearly not wanting to do it. And one of the things I've always learned is, is you're only as sick as your secrets. I think that's a beautiful way to describe this. Imagine knowing that in all honesty that you get to tell God exactly what is going on and you are guaranteed of his response is that you ultimately go to him with repentance and confession and you go to him and you tell him the things he will forgive. This is astonishing that his grace is way bigger than any piece of your sin. His grace is amazing, unfathomable, and he offers it to you freely. That is amazing. Genesis three, it's about covering, it's about hiding, it's about blame shifting. And God is saying, I will do more. I will go over and above. See that illustration, you remember that whole thing about the covering? John Paul Sartre talks about the idea that uh, he he uses a keyhole, but we'll we'll stick with the one-way mirror illustration. And the way that he goes about it is is imagine if you are somebody on the other side of the window seeing someone and they don't know that you're seeing them. You are an ultimate power. You can see them, but they can't see you. You are in the driver's seat. And then at that moment, you hear a noise behind you. And what you realize is that there's actually a one-way mirror behind you. And now you are the object, not the subject. You're, de- you're the one who's being dehumanized. And now you feel that that's unbearable. Why? What Jean-Paul Sartre, the existentialist philosopher says is that it's dehumanizing to be out of control of what people see of you. We need to control how people see us. We need to control what people see to have access or to be uncovered to someone to have complete access to what you're thinking and what you're doing. You believe to be utterly dehumanizing and we cannot bear it. We can't even think about it. We do things and we say things and we act a certain way. And we try to take on our persona because we want to control. We don't want someone to look on the inside of us to catch us doing something that we don't want them to see that that we are actually people who have traditional problems of guilt and shame. We wanna create our own standards. And if we're honest, we actually can't even live up to those. See what he's saying what Sartre is exposing of us is that the standards that in which we love to place on other people we hate having placed on ourselves. The guilt and shame that we might offer to others, we hate having those imposed onto ourselves, And that means every single one of us has a problem with guilt and shame. Everybody desperately needs to be covered, which is what is being offered. Everybody wants to, has to be, and continues to ask for this covering because they do not wanna be exposed. That we're filled with guilt and shame, no matter who we are, no matter what century, no matter what culture, guilt and shame is a part of our life and we need to figure out a solution. And that's the point. Franz Kafka wrote in one of his diaries this that I think is so important. The state we find ourselves in today is that we feel sinful, quite independent of guilt. This is a this is beautiful for us to realize that when we get to the place that we actually truly understand that I'm feeling something on the inside, this guilt, the shame that everyone's dealing with, this idea that I love to put the standard on others that I cannot even keep for myself. What do I do with this? Well, look at verse six here, it's beautiful. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. It's, it's being with him. Being with him is the solution. Do you understand this? That guilt, shame, all of these things that overtake our lives. He's just saying, I just want to be with you. Prayer, communion, just being with the Lord means so much more. And this is the point. This is the point. If forgiveness is good, fellowship is better. If forgiveness is good, relationship is better. If forgiveness is good, love is better. Being with him is the goal. And so to be with him does something because it means that we've changed our perception into how we are going to be covered. And what do I mean by that? Look at, verse, look at verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bitten bridle or it will not stay near you. So here's kind of the progression of this whole passage. How do we get happiness? It is odds with Understanding your true human flaws and issue in the full experience of human evil versus divine deliverance. It is speaking about it openly in repentance and confession towards God. I speak of it. I acknowledge it. I don't try to hide it. And I speak the reality of it towards him. And then being with him through that process ultimately alleviates this guilt and shame because to be with him means that I'm truly understanding him, his motives, his directions for my life. And so... If this is kind of the pitch, you're sitting there going, well, that doesn't make any sense because I feel like I've confessed, I feel like I've repented, and I don't feel like any of this guilt or shame has been alleviated from me. Now, this is where this kind of random parable of horses and donkeys kind of come from, or the mule, because this is the description. There are two ways of doing the exact same thing. There's a rider on top of a mule and they have kind of the the reins of this mule, and there is a bit attached to a, a bridle and you pull the donkey one way and the metal piece of their mouth grinds up against their teeth and it causes a bit of pain. So when you try to get them to go to the right, if the donkey is rebellious and tries to go left, it only offers them more pain. So they're only gonna go the direction that the rider tells them to go for a couple different reasons. One is they want to alleviate the pain. That's the point, is that if they go in the direction that the rider tells them to go, they only go there because they don't wanna hurt. That's what he's saying. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't sit with God and confess and repent. And God, I feel so bad for this, but I'm gonna do it again next weekend. Father, I feel so bad about what I did or said to that person with no actual lasting change because the motivation of us confessing to God is not that we actually wanna be with him. It's we don't wanna feel the way that we feel. We don't wanna feel this pain anymore. And so whatever you want me to do, I'll just kind of do it and and I'll go this way. It's the same description of the rider pulling this mule of I just wanna alleviate the pain. And alleviating the pain and trusting the rider are two completely different things, even though you go the same way. Do you hear what I'm saying? The way that you were saying that you love repentance and you've done, no, 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 you've done it. You've might've gone the same direction, but you've done it with completely different motives, completely different genuineness of heart. You didn't even care about the rider. You didn't even care about the God who you're confessing to. You just didn't wanna feel what you were feeling anymore. And that is very different. It's very different. And so what's the call for us? How how do we do this? How do we actually go in the way of true confession and end off in the way that David ends off? Look at this, verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Listen to how this kind of this ski jump at the end of just glorious amount of emotion towards the God of the universe. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So I'm trying to confess. I'm trying to say to God all the things. And it seems like my motivation is just because I don't wanna feel the pain, not because I really wanna know him. What do I do? Look at this. It's his steadfast love. Why do we confess? Why do we repent? It's because of his steadfast love. Where do we find happiness and bliss and blessing in his steadfast love? This is the whole point. What God is saying to us is, listen, listen very clearly. If you try to cover your sin, I will be the one to expose it. But if you are the one who exposes your sin, let me come around and cover it for you. And how does he cover it for you? By steadfast love. It's it's Jesus on the cross. Don't you understand? Like crucifixion is one of the worst possible ways of death. You're sitting there on this tree, which is the popular description of the Bible. And you're there and you are naked and you are in shame and you are uncovered and you are exposed for everyone to see what you cannot control their perception to be. They're seeing you for all of which you are and you cannot do anything about it. This moment where Christ is on the cross is the ultimate one-way mirror. It is the ultimate exposing. It is the ultimate seeing what he could not control. He is exposed. And the reason why you can be covered is because he wasn't. And the reason why you can be covered is because he put onto himself what you deserve. That's the point. I love the way that Tim Keller describes it. It's so beautiful. You say, Father, accept me, not because of anything I do or can do. I can't cover over my sin. I can't be good enough to cover over my sin. I'm not gonna try to cover my sin by beating myself up. I'm not gonna try to cover up my sin by denying it. I uncover my sin. Now cover me because Jesus Christ was uncovered for me. That's the gospel. Fully exposed. The God of the universe come down in flesh to be fully exposed. He was exposed so you can be covered. Do you see this? This is the beauty of repentance. This is the beauty. And once you really see the God of the universe going through such extents, what is holding a grudge to this? What is being angry? What is being frustrated or what is being proud? Do you realize how easy it is to let those things go once you truly see the exposed crucified God on the cross, staring at you with love? You see how easy it is for those things to float away when that actually means something for you. God uncovered so you can be covered. The one who gave everything and took on the consequence of sin so you can see liberation. I love the way that St. Augustine puts this. He says, the happy life, which is what this is describing, the blessedness, the happy life is this, to rejoice in you, uh, to rejoice to you, in you, and for you. Once again, the happy life is this, to rejoice to you, in you, and for you. And this is the point. This is the whole reason why we're getting here. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. God says, cover and I'll expose, and expose and I will cover this will lead you to the place of blessedness spoken about in verse one. If you're trying to find happiness, expose the dark, dirty parts of your life to him and see what he does. Honestly, trust the rider. Don't just try to get away from the pain that you're feeling of an issue or of a mistake or the guilt or the shame that you're feeling. Don't just try to medicate it or get it away so you don't have to think about it again, but trust him, know him. Uh, Put faith into the son of God who died on the cross for you in a stunning way. This happiness, it changes everything. One writer, his name is John Piper. He puts it this way. How happy is that love in which there is an eternal progress in all these things, where new beauties are continually discovered and more and more loveliness and in which we shall forever increase in beauty ourselves when we shall be made capable of finding out and giving and shall receive more and more endearing expressions of love forever, our union will become more close and communion more intimate. Is that what you see is that true relationship with God is true happiness. Is that when you really know him, life becomes sweeter. Things begin to be more glorious. Everything changes about your motivations. And because He was uncovered, you are covered. And if you've never been the kind of person who's ever given their life to God and sat there and said to yourself, I cannot do this anymore. I can't feel this way anymore. I want to describe to you a God who is willing to take your shame, who's willing to take your guilt, who's willing to take the things that you are feeling and alleviate those from you, not so you can feel better but so that you could know him and knowing him is the thing that you have been searching for your whole life this is what the blessed life is this is what true happiness is is to know the god of the universe more and more and more and to understand that he knows you more than you could ever possibly imagine so what is the happy life the happy life is knowing him the happy life is being with him The happy life is having an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. What do you wanna do? Father, we just, uh, we thank you so much for the ability for us to read this passage and really in our heart of hearts, understand that because you were uncovered, our sin is covered. Because you are exposed, our sin has been covered. That you have given us something that we can never earn something that we can never get for ourselves by any effort or by education or by wealth or by status that you have given us true forgiveness of sins. Only if we're honest with you, we are actually repentant. We go and we trust the writer and you will do the rest of the work. We love you. Thank you so much for this amazing gift of grace. Thank you so much for this amazing gift of, of relationship with you. And I pray that we would just make much of it and make much of you. In Jesus' name, we wanna pray, amen.